Uh, just before we start, I just want to give credit where credit is due. And while I tempted, attempted not to quote him directly in this message, some of the ideas of today's uh, teaching were first given by Tim Mackey of the Bible Project in his teaching series, The Amazing Jonah. As I had prepared for this message and did some research, I found Jonah chapter 1 described as a portrait, a picture, an illustration, an example. As I read Jonah chapter 1, mostly what I found was that it was convicting. So I'm excited this morning because conviction doesn't mean I'm bad. Conviction means that God loves me and I have an opportunity to repent and come back under the fullness of his grace. So I know we just had a scripture reading, but so we have an overview. I'm going to read, start out by reading Jonah chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare, went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. I don't know why he thought the presence of the Lord wasn't in Tarshish, but um, verse four, the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship was about to be broken up. The mar mariners were afraid and every man cried out to his God and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Please tell us, for what cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? So, <coughs> excuse me. So he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then <coughs> the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, Why have you done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he told them. <coughs> then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may be calm before us? For the sea was growing more temptuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will be calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. Nevertheless, the men rolled hard to return to land, but they could not, for the sea continued to grow more temptuous against them. Therefore, they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life, and do not charge us with innocent blood, 
For you, O Lord, have done as as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord God exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Father, this morning... We stand before you, loving you, trying to walk as best we can as Christ walked. And yet at the same time, Father, we see our own shortnesses, our own weaknesses, our own sins. So so Holy Spirit, touch our hearts this morning with power. Take the word and change our hearts and remind us that we have a new nature, a nature that wants to please you. And for all of your goodness in our lives, for all you do, we give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. So as we study the book of Jonah, we shall see there are three key themes that are running through it. The first one is obedience or the need for obedience. The second one is how Jesus and the disciples demonstrated a greater obedience than Jonah did. And number three, the tendencies of God's people towards apathy and judgmentalism in contrast to how the Gentiles in this story, namely the sailors, and even the animals, namely the fish, the sea creature, literally, um, how they positively responded to God in this story. One time I will quote Tim Mackey. He said, The themes of this account are profound, dealing with religious hypocrisy, exposing spiritual apathy, and devastating the effects it has on us, other people, and how God can use pain and suffering in our life as a severe mercy to spiritually awaken us. I'm going to skip over the part of the sections and just start with Jonah 1 through 3. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So the first thing we see that Jonah was a real person. He was the son of somebody. He was a prophet of God. And interestingly, his name means dove of faithfulness. So God sends Jonah to Nineveh, but Jonah decides to flee to Tarshish. And there is a great contrast between Nineveh and Tarshish. Nineveh was located east of the Tigris in modern-day Iraq. It was more than 500 miles east of Jonah's hometown. And Nineveh was home to more than 120,000 residents and likely the largest city in the known land of its time. Nineveh was the capital of ancient Assyrians. And most scholars agree that the Assyrians were the most brutal, oppressive, and violent people of any of the ancient empires. 
The Assyrians, of course, were not Israelites. In fact, they were the mortal enemies of, the, of Israel. Now, Tarshish in, con, Tarshish, in contrast, was west of Jonah's home and believed to be somewhere on the Spanish coast near Gibraltar. Tarshish stood more than 2,500 miles from Israel in the opposite direction of Nineveh and probably was the most remote destination available to Jonah. It seems as if Jonah was trying to put as much distance between Nineveh and himself as he could. We might say today that Tarshish was our equivalent of Timbuktu. So why did Jonah flee? Well, he tells us a little later in the book, Jonah knew God would find a way to bring his grace and his mercy to the Assyrians through their repentance. But Jonah didn't want a happy ending for the Assyrians. They were his enemy. He hated them and the things that they had done. And so Jonah's prejudice and hate has spiritually blinded him. I mean, you have to be pretty blind to think you can hide from God, don't you? Silly to think that he can run from the Lord's presence by fleeing Israel. Verse 4, but the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. Why was it important to God that Jonah obey him? Was it that God created Jonah? He was a slave and he had to do what God said. And if he didn't, God would teach him so. Or was it that nobody else but Jonah could deliver the message? The Assyrians wouldn't receive it from anybody but Jonah. I don't think so. I think what is happening here is that one of God's prophets, one of his sheep, has gone astray, filled with hate and prejudice. So far astray that he, he thinks he can run from God. He thinks he can hide from God. So far astray that he thinks there will be no consequences for his disobedience to God. All because he hated the Assyrians so much. One of the purposes of Scripture is to review who God, reveal who God is to us, his character and his purposes. And the book of Jonah, as with all scriptures, is aimed at revealing God's character to his people. He's a God of love. He wants us to obey because he wants us to bless us. And he wants to bless others through us. So we see here there's a prophet, a religious man of God, who runs from God in the opposite direction. And that leads him to hit bottom, literally. He goes to the very bottom of the ship, as low as he can go. And it brings, he brings ruin on himself and on other people because of his disobedience, namely here the sailors. And God creates a brush with death for Jonah. Makes it seem like it's the worst thing that ever could have happened to Jonah in his life. Probably the worst thing ever did happen to Jonah in his life. But actually, it is a severe mercy. 
It's what wakes Jonah up from his spiritual apathy and his deception. And Jonah then repents and obeys God. You know, this reminds me of Romans 8.28. You all know it. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. But it also reminds me of Matthew 16, verses 24 and 25. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. I could see Jonah. I mean, here God is sending Jonah to the most fierce, brutal, hated people known on earth. And he was supposed to go and tell them, God's not happy with you. It's going to go bad for you unless you repent and stop being this way. I'd be shivering in my shoes to do that. I would want to save my life. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And I think a lot of times when we look at this scripture, we think about literally dying for somebody, laying down my life for my family or my wife or or whoever. But I want to suggest that there's another, that the word life is bigger. Substitute my will. My will is how I want to live my life. So will I lay down my will to do, to do God's will? <clears throat> you know, my greatest will is to be happy. If I don't do something that God doesn't want, or that God, if, if I do something that God wants me to do, even if I don't want to do it, I have assurance that I will be happier doing that than doing my own thing. We said that the scripture uh, reveals God's character to us. It's also a spiritual diagnostic. It seems fitting to ask, are we doing any better than Jonah did at laying down our will for God's will? Are we taking up the cross? Or are we running from God? from God's will for our lives. Jonah chapter 1 to me is an illustration of spiritual apathy. It's a picture of not only why, but how we become spiritually asleep. It also reveals what's happening to us when we're asleep spiritually and what a tragedy that spiritual apathy really is. God's mission is to reach people and rescue them. And that's why we're still here. If, if, if God didn't need us to do the work of Christ on earth, as soon as we're born again, we're up in heaven with God. Sounds kind of nice sometimes. But that's not what God wanted for us. God wanted us to have the joy of partaking in the work of the kingdom, 
the joy of leading people to Jesus Christ, the joy of laying down our will at taking up his will. That's why we're still here. Reaching out to people who need Jesus, being Jesus with skin on to them. So we see the God of a, a fierce love who pursues not only his disobeyed, disobedient prophet, but also the pagan sailors. Verse um, five, I'm sorry. The mariners were afraid and every man cried out to his God and threw cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down to the lowest parts of the ship, laid down and was fast asleep. We see in verse five that Noah's disobedience doesn't just affect Jonah. Did I say Noah? Jonah's disobedience didn't, doesn't just affect Jonah. The sailors who are paid to take this precious cargo from Joppa to Tarshish, they threw it all overboard. Because what good is money without a life, right? I get that. But was it necessary? If Jonah had obeyed God, would that tempest have been there? So Jonah's not only going to face consequences for his disobedience, but others are going to be affected by his disobedience. And you know what? That's not just true of Jonah. It's true of us as well. Verse 6, so the captain came to him and said, what do you mean, sleeper? The captain knew what the problem was. He was spiritually asleep, right? Arise, call on your God, and perhaps your God will consider us also so that we may not perish. Did Jonah think that God wouldn't hear his prayer? Is that why he didn't pray? Why wouldn't God hear Jonah's prayer? Was it because he had disobeyed God and God was upset with him? Was it because God didn't love him anymore because he wasn't obedient? No. No, it was because as of yet, Jonah had not been awoken from his spiritual apathy. Until we are in the temptuous sea, I don't believe we recognize the severe condition in which we find ourselves. And it wasn't until Jonah was in the sea, swallowed by some type of sea creature, that he started to pray. That he realized the severity of his condition the seriousness of it. Verses 7 and 8. They said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know for what cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots and it fell on Jonah. And they said to him, Please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people you are? These seasoned sailors, they recognized this was no ordinary storm. This wasn't even just an unordinary storm. This was something that a god was very upset with somebody and was trying to get their attention. 
The practice of casting lots is mentioned 70 times in the Old Testament, seven times in the New, yet nothing's really known about what the lots were themselves. Non-followers of God also used the practice of casting lots. The primary reason was to render an impartial, unbiased decision on important matters. To these sailors who undoubtedly believed their own pagan gods, the casting of lots was a way to allow the gods to express themselves since only they could control how the lot felt. fell. Well, I don't know how accurate that was and is or is, but I do know that it wasn't a problem for God to make the lot fall to Jonah. And before I continue, just to be clear, there is no need for Christians today to cast lots because we have the Bible, we have the leading of the Holy Spirit, we know the character of God, and that's all we really need to know to make important decisions. Well, we may need to know a few other facts, but the important thing is following the leading of God. And in the Bible, the recorded casting of lots ends when the Holy Spirit was given at Pentecost. After Pentecost, never again talks about casting lots. All right, so going on with verses 9 and 10. So he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, Why have you done this? For they knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So Jonah answers the sailor's question, giving witness that he is a follower of the God of Israel. Have you ever had a contradiction between what you say and how you live? where your actions don't match what you say. Here's Jonah, he says, I fear the God who created the heaven and the seas. I fear the God of Israel. That's why I'm hiding in the bottom of a ship running away from him because I don't want to do what he says. Actions don't quite match up with what he's saying there. But I think that's pretty common when we are spiritually apathetic. And I think a lot of times we are judgmental simply because we don't realize how closed we are to the things of the Spirit. Jonah's sin is that God has given him a call to go participate in God's story of his grace, reaching more and more kinds of people and offering God's mercy and grace. But Jonah chose to rebel against God. And I just cannot think of a more accurate description of spiritual apathy, what spiritual slumber looks like. when there's a deep contradiction between what we say we believe and what we actually do. In verses 11 and 12, we see that Jonah understood the reason for the storm and that the only thing that would save the sailors and their ship was to cast Jonah and his sin away from themselves into the sea. 
it must have been really, really bad. Remember the first time it talks about the tempest? It says the ship was ready to fall apart. Then the second time it says it became even more tempestuous. And then the third time it, it became more tempestuous. I'm surprised the ship was even there anymore. But I'm also struck by the sailors' value for human life. They did everything they could to not throw Jonah into the sea. They rode their hearts out trying to get to land. Didn't work. Didn't work at all. So they prayed to Jonah's God, be merciful to us. Don't hold this man's sin against us, please. And don't hold our sin of casting him into the sea. Don't hold his blood against us because you're the one who put the storm here. You're the one who said that through Jonah that it would be calm if we throw him into the sea. And so, and the the literal word is hurled. They grabbed Jonah, hurled him into the sea. And all of a sudden the tempest was no more. You know, I would think that it'd be about to losing my life if I was Jonah. I'd have been the one praying to my God. I'd be the one saying, Lord, I get it. I'm awake. I'm sorry I disobeyed you. Let us make it to land. I'll go back. I'll do what you said. But how hard Jonah's heart must have been. That wasn't his prayer. He's like, throw me into the sea. It's better to die than to obey God. I don't know. I can't tell you what he was thinking, but I just can't understand why he wouldn't pray a prayer of repentance at that point. I mean, surely if God was sending him to Nineveh to bring repentance to such a brutal, savage people, God would have allowed Jonah the gift of repentance and forgiveness as well. But Jonah couldn't see it. And so after tossing Jonah into the sea, the storm ceases and the sailors with deep reverence, awe and a healthy fear for the Lord offered sacrifices to the Lord and took vows to follow him. I don't think they could have offered the sacrifices on their ship that was about ready to sink. I think it probably had to wait until they got to land. And when they got to land, they found a, 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 a Jewish temple And they went and they made sacrifices to the God of Israel. And they took vows. They were no more pagan. God had moved and changed their hearts as he dealt with Jonah. Again, I think of Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good. For those who love the Lord. And then in verse 17, and that's interesting, verse 17, it reminds me of a TV series. It's a great commercial spot. A great spot to end this episode and make you wait for the next one. I'm really not sure why verse 17 isn't part of chapter 2, to be honest. But it's in chapter 1, so I will cover it. 
Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. The ancient Hebrew term fish was made no distinction between fish and marine mammals. The Hebrew phrase used in the Old Testament literally means great fish-like. And the Greek, one, the Greek uh, word for it, as it's recorded in Matthew, I think, yeah, Matthew, um, it simply means sea creature. So I don't know, was it a fish? Was it a whale? Was it some creature that God created just for that moment? You know what's important? What's important is that God found a way to rescue Jonah. I mean, I can't imagine being in the belly of something for three days and three nights. Those digestive juices, those acids. I, I just, and no oxygen. I just don't see how Jonah could have lived there, <coughs> excuse me, except for the mercy of God. But lived there three days and three nights, he did. In Matthew 12, 38 through 40, Jesus refers to this. He says, then some scribes and Pharisees answered saying, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. And no sign will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish. So will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. You know, God's people sometimes end up in the belly of the great fish. Sometimes it's through our own actions. Sometimes it's through persecution. But we will all, sometimes more than once, end up in the belly of the great fish. And we have the choice to look at that one of two ways. We can look at that at, as God's judgment on us, or we can look at that as God's severe mercy, waking us up from our spiritual slumber, getting our attention above something, some area in our life. Did you know you don't have to slumber away your whole body? There are things called micro-sleep. In micro-sleep, you fall asleep for just a couple of seconds. And the rest of your life is fine, but those couple of seconds, you have no idea what went on. And I, I would kind of like to make a parallel to that, that there are things in our lives that God wants to deal with that we are spiritually asleep about. doesn't mean that we're spiritually asleep about everything God's doing. But in those areas, we are spiritually asleep. And when we go into the belly of the fish, as it were, that's God's invitation to rescue us, to change us, to make us overcomers. And to me, that's a lot of what the book of Jonah is about. Father, in the name of Jesus, we are so grateful today. We are grateful for your love and your goodness in our lives. And Lord, even when the hard times come, 
You're there with us in the furnace. You're there with us in the belly of the fish. You're there loving us and encouraging us. Thank you. Thank you for such a love. Thank you that even when it hurts, you're there. You're working all things together for our good. God, you are worthy of all of our love and all of our praise. And we give it to you in Jesus' name. Amen.